0: Hey, everyone. Did you know NeuroDiverging now offers a free support group for autistic parents, monthly free live classes on neurodivergence-related topics, and a coaching corner twice a month on Instagram? Learn more and sign up for all of our learning opportunities at neurodiverging.com upcoming events. Every day, scientists are learning more and more about how human brains work, and how many of us don't fit into the old-fashioned understanding of how brains should work. But a lot of ideas about parenting and familial relationships still need to catch up to the reality of human variation. Neurological differences are natural, profoundly valuable parts of being in a community together, and in being part of a family. Whoever you are, wherever you are in your journey, I am here to explore with you we are all in this together. Welcome to NeuroDiverging. Welcome to Neurodiverging. Danielle here. Thank you so much for tuning in with me today. Today, I want to do uh, a little bit of a different podcast from what I've been doing recently. I want to talk a little bit more about why I wasn't diagnosed until I was an adult. I did a podcast pretty early on in Neurodiverging's uh, life. I think it was like my second podcast. That was about how I found out that I was autistic in my early 30s um, after my first child was diagnosed autistic. Um, And I got a lot of feedback on that episode and a lot of it centered around this question of, well, why didn't nobody notice you were autistic until that late in life? And how could I not know personally that I was autistic until that late? And I, I just wanna say, you know, early 30s is not that late to be diagnosed autistic. Plenty of people are diagnosed in their 50s or 60s or 70s. Um, But, you know, obviously I wasn't diagnosed as a child either, and I think there was a lot of feedback just regarding, well, how was I missed as a child? And so today um, I would like to talk more about that, about why I wasn't diagnosed as autistic until I was in my 30s, and just how that happened. I'd also like to take a minute to just thank this week's sponsor, iAlly, which is an app and website for caregivers. We're going to talk more about them in a couple of minutes, but thank you to iAlly for supporting neurodiverging. With that, if you haven't had a chance to listen to my earlier episode about being diagnosed as an adult, by the time my son was diagnosed, uh, he was just a little over two years old, and um, My diagnosis at that time was not a surprise to me. I had felt that I was different from a lot of people for most of my adult life, and I was also pretty sure my son was different like I was pretty early in his life. Around when my son was two years old, I was pregnant with my daughter, and I was really starting to fall apart emotionally, and I think I talked about this more in that podcast, My son was difficult to parent, I was exhausted all the time from the pregnancy, and I had no real internal resources left to deal with anything else going on, and I was just falling apart. And I had done a lot of research on autism in the process of figuring out what was going on with my son, and the more I read, the more I was pretty sure that I was autistic as well. Furthermore, a lot of the problems I was having in my day-to-day life were based in my autism. The more I read... Um, sort of stories of autistic people, their blogs and their information online, the more sure I was that this was the case. I also felt like personally for myself, that it would have been irresponsible to just assume autism based on my own research, um, without kind of going through somebody who had seen more autistic folks than I had met in my life. Um, Other people might not want to do that. But I just felt like I wanted to be sure that it was autism before I kind of just assumed and went forward at that. But, you know, I, it was, I was autistic. I was not surprised by that, but I did find that a lot of my family was surprised and a lot of people have since asked me why I wasn't diagnosed earlier. I think I've thought about this a lot. I think there are a lot of reasons. I also think that it's hard to know exactly why I was missed over but I thought today I could talk about a couple of possibilities for why I wasn't caught as a child or even as a teenager and maybe what folks today might be able to do better to catch children who are not being served by kind of current screening tools and medical tools the first thing that I think that is the most important about my specific case is my family so without going into too much kind of personal detail I am like 80 percent five percent sure that we have undiagnosed autism and undiagnosed adhd in my immediate family um, and also in my extended family i there's always a chance that i am wrong about this i am not a medical professional i am just some person but i i do think that there's autism in other folks in my family and i think when you have a bunch of people together who all fit the same neurotype even if it's a less common neurotype like autism it's easier to view the way you think and your strengths and weaknesses as normal. Because you just don't see neurotypical strengths and weaknesses in your life. You see what your family's doing, right? So they're your basis of, of comparison for everything else you're seeing. Um, so I think that I saw a lot of what's normal For ADHD and autistic brains, but I didn't necessarily see a lot of what's normal for neurotypical brains. And so, without that context, it was really hard for me to notice that anything was different. And it was harder for my immediate family to notice that I was different because I wasn't different from them. I was just different from other people. Um, And, you know, that's not as obvious, I think, in that context. I got along fine with my parents and my siblings and with most of my extended family. I'd say about as well as anybody gets on with their extended family, but I did have trouble making friends at school and in the community. And I think if anyone else in my family had been diagnosed with ADHD or autism, my weaknesses might have been more obvious to my parents and my teachers, and maybe some testing or some other interventions would have been considered. But because I believe my family is neurodiverse in a couple of different ways, my weaknesses didn't particularly stand out. They were just similar to what the rest of my family was doing. In some ways, I feel really lucky that I wasn't the odd one out in my family, but I still felt like I was the odd one out in school. Um, And that feeling grew as I got older, and I still sometimes feel like that today, even knowing myself so much better than I did 20 years ago. Um, Especially the more complicated the social situations I was put into got, the harder I... The more trouble I had, the harder it was for me. When I got to college, I managed to basically luck my way into a group of women who were just amazing oddballs and I just clung to them we just were such a group but if I hadn't kind of bumped into those people I wouldn't have made any friends in college Um, I had a lot of trouble creating friendships once I got out of college and I still have trouble making and maintaining friendships today um, except with other neurodivergent people that goes on fine But I have trouble with neurotypical people, and I have some long-standing neurotypical friends who put up with a lot of my stuff really well, Um, but I don't know that we're as close as we could be just because I am bad at social cues, and I miss a lot. I miss a lot. Yeah, so one major reason that no one caught me earlier is because I didn't particularly stand out as having a different neurotype to my parents. But I think another huge reason is that I didn't particularly stand out in school um, and nowadays, I think that most kids who are neurodivergent, who are autistic or ADHD, especially, are caught in the school context where you have, if you're lucky and you're in a good school with enough funding and all all the kind of privilege that goes into a good school, you have you know special educators um, who are familiar with what ADHD and autism look like. You have teachers who are noticing when students are struggling and are better able to connect the dots about why that student is struggling and what might be going on. And again, I understand that it is not this way for a ton of people, but in a kind of an idealized school environment, you know, you do have those resources that were not available when I was growing up um, in a public school system. I I didn't particularly stand out in school. I did well. I got good grades. I did not, you know, pick fights or cause trouble. I was a rule follower, like, so bad. And nobody had any reason to pick me out as somebody who was struggling, outside of the fact that I had difficulty with social cues, which was obvious to everyone. I'm so much better at it now, and it is still obvious to everyone. So think about how much of a deficit I had 20 years ago. Oh, I think though, I I think I just looked like a weird nerdy kid, though, as opposed to like a struggling kid. So there's always a couple weird nerdy kids, right? So that's always fine, but... it it is kind of frustrating that nobody could see where I was struggling. Um, And when I've thought about why people couldn't see that I was struggling, I think there are a couple of potential reasons. One of those is masking. Masking is one of those things that I think the research has come to realize that women with autism are either better at masking um, because of, kind of what women's social circles tend to look like versus men's um, and how women are trained to socialize differently and to talk to each other differently than men are trained. But I also think, I think that I was really good at masking from pretty early on and I wasn't doing it on purpose, but I also knew that some of the stuff that I thought or said didn't go over well and I didn't know why. Necessarily, but I knew that I could kind of alter my approach and and how I how I went into situations, social situations, to get better results. And so that was what masking was for me. It was like, how do I approach this situation to get what I need out of it without alienating people? Right? Um, it was never like, let me go make a friend. It was like, let me <laughs> let me attempt to talk to this person without you know, them getting mad at me for something that I don't understand, you know. Um, So I held it together pretty well at school. Like I said, I was a rule follower. I did my work. I kept my head down. I was social when needed, but I was very much kind of, and I'm like this to this day when I'm working, you know, when I'm working, I'm working, I'm going to do the job. And any interruptions to that are not necessarily going to be I'm not good at that socializing at work thing. I just can't do it. It's it's like interrupting the whole reason I'm at work. And I was like that at school, too. Like, if I was working, I was working, and I didn't really want to participate in some of the social stuff that other kids wanted to. And, you know, that was weird. I get that. Um, but, you know, it was hard for me to do. But I could mask, and I could just put my head down and do the work and not be rude <laughs> or what was perceived as rude and... You know, that kind of got me through the school day. And then when I got home, I could go outside and I could get some quiet alone time, like climb a tree or go in the garden or walk around, or I could watch TV and chill out and just kind of reorganize myself after all of the input at school. I had some tantrums and meltdowns that I remember as a kind of early, what do they call them now, tween, a tween, and a kind of early teenager. But I don't think they were obviously related to sensory overload at the time. I didn't connect it personally myself as like a 14, 15, 13 year old that some of the bigger emotional load I was feeling when I got home was because I had been suppressing at school and my parents were often not home right when I got home. Um, So I don't think they really saw it either. And even if they had, I don't know that they would have like connected the dots because I hadn't connected the dots. So they weren't obvious to myself or my family. I was, as an early teenager or a younger teenager, often depressed and disorganized. But I think we all just kind of put it down to hormones and like growing. And it didn't, we didn't manage to link it to anything else. And I think that was normal at the time. Um, And maybe even normal now that, you know, you do go, hormones are real, you know, they affect different people differently. I think that we could have done a better job in linking some of that stuff together if we had the resources we have now. But at the time, I really don't think that anyone overlooked anything in in that kind of sense. I don't think it was like a cry for help that was missed. I think it was like thought to be pretty normal that a teenage girl might sometimes be depressed or go on crying jacks or just have trouble managing emotions. And, you know, we didn't necessarily... And I still don't even know, like, was it because of autism or was it just because the hormones, like it could have been hormones, who knows, you know? So I was also just really good at hiding things that I had trouble with. And I don't really mean this like in a sneaky way, but I wanted to follow the rules and I wanted to do a good job. And I still, to this day, am one of those people who like has to be talked out of following the rules, even if the rules are like useless and don't help anyone. I do want to do a good job. I want to work to my capacity. And I know that I'm able to do a good job in most situations. And it kind of hurts when I can't do as good a job as I want to be able to do. But I also when I even when I was a kid, I knew I had trouble organizing my own tasks. I procrastinated so much. I had trouble getting started on schoolwork. And I wanted to do well. So I did enough work. To get by, I was often doing schoolwork in the cafeteria before class started or on the bus on the way to school in the morning. And I was also one of those people who stayed up really late the night before a project was due. In retrospect, I obviously had and continued to have a ton of executive dysfunction issues, um, but nobody recognized them for what they were at the time. And I don't really know how common the understanding of executive dysfunction was at the time like that you know this was in the late 1990s i was at high school and like i people knew what adhd was but did they understand enough about the brain at that time period um to like understand executive dysfunction in that context? I really don't know. And I am doing some research on the history of neurodivergence. So when I get there, you will be the first to find out. But anyway, I didn't recognize it as executive dysfunction. That wasn't a term that came into my knowledge until like 15 years after this point. Um, And I don't know that teachers were particularly well-versed in that either um, at the time. So what happened was that instead of understanding that I had like a different brain and some executive dysfunction issues, um, what happened instead is I internalized the idea that I was just kind of lazy and not trying hard enough because I knew that other people didn't have as much trouble getting started and maintaining focus as I did. And it wasn't an issue of me not being smart enough for not understanding the material. I understood the material really well. I was often in advanced classes, especially for like English and writing and reading kinds of stuff. Um, I participated well enough in class. I had good ideas. I was just really bad at turning in like good work consistently and on time. I lost papers all the time. I didn't know when things were due. And considering my organizational issues, I think this is a great time to take a minute for today's sponsor. Today's episode is generously sponsored by iAlly. iAlly is a website and app created to be the family caregiver's companion. It was created by a young woman who became her father's full-time caregiver rather suddenly and recognized the lack of support and resources available to caregivers in our millennial generation. The iAlly app provides personalized access to mental health providers, financial coaching, and education, legal counsel, and a digitized matching service for clinical trials. It also has a cool feature, the iAlly Checkup, which ensures that you are taking advantage of all the benefits you may be eligible for, as well as a personal caregiving coach. What I really loved about iAlly when I first found out about it, is that the app offers a way for those of us taking care of kids or parents with significant needs, a centralized space for all of our medical documents, medical histories, medications, important notes, which makes it easier to keep track of everything. I struggle with executive function, I've talked about that before, and my kids have multiple medical conditions to manage. I know a lot of you are in the same boat. The app is a huge help. Additionally, as a family caregiver, all of your own medical information, documents, and medications are in there, too. And the app encourages you to be thinking about how to take care of yourself and make sure you're getting to your appointments, too, while you're supporting your family member. You have access to all of this coaching, as well as medical and mental health resources right inside the app, so it's all easy to find when you need it. There's also mutual aid opportunities to help right inside the app. So if you need help picking up groceries or getting rides to the doctor, you can ask for help from a volunteer. Or you can volunteer yourself if you want to be available to help others in your community. You can customize your own plan so you can choose the resources you need or want. It's all personalized and it's free to join. You can learn more about iAlly at appi ycom or please click the link below in the show notes. Thank you so much to iAli for sponsoring Neurodiverging today. And now let's get back to what it was like to be an autistic girl in high school in the 90s. I also this will not surprise anyone else if you're listening if you're autistic but I had a couple of special interests as a teenager that took up a ton of my time and energy and I had a lot of trouble redirecting energy away from those interests and towards boring things like schoolwork I still as a grown adult with children have trouble like remembering on certain days when I'm having a bad day like If I'm in a project, I'm in that project, like you got to drag me away. You know, my kids will come and be like, mom, it's lunchtime, come make us lunch, um, because they're wonderful children. And because otherwise uh, they know that I might just sit there for another half an hour working on the thing I'm working on. Um, and when I was younger, it was the same. It was really hard to redirect energy away from whatever I was interested in and towards schoolwork. Like who cares about schoolwork? Um. I really, one of the special interests I had kind of in a general way was that I really loved to read when I was a teenager. I still love to read. I usually have about four books going at once. And when I was younger, I would routinely read like two or four like young adult books a day. Like, you know, those boxcar children books and like the Nancy Drew and the Trixie Belden, like I would churn through those. And when I was, yeah, when I was in the thick of, of a kind of reading spurt, I would just, blast through those I read almost everything that I was interested in in our very small town library by the time I was in high school and I got my mom to start taking me to the larger regional library which is a little farther away but it had a larger science fiction and fantasy section and I you know was just it was just so much better I would very happily spend four or five hours a day reading I read on the bus to school, I read on the bus on the way home from school, I read during my lunch hour, and then during class if we had free time. I often read for a couple hours before bed. So like focus in general was not an issue for me, and focus in general is still not an issue for me. Focus on the thing I'm supposed to be doing over the thing I'm interested in doing has always been an issue for me. So anyway, there are a couple of the sorts of personal reasons that I specifically kind of wasn't caught earlier in life, wasn't diagnosed. But I think there are a lot of structural reasons too. So first of all, like I said, I was in high school in the late 1990s. And although there was some movement towards autism awareness at the time, it was pretty small. And autism at the time was a boy thing and a white boy thing too. Girls were not autistic. Um, Also, autism at the time kind of basically meant like Rain Man, like having some obvious oddities in your social interaction, stereotype speech patterns, um, having some kind of savant ability, um, a developmental delay or an intellectual de- disability. And like nowadays we know that only f- 40 to 50% of autistic folks have a form of intellectual disability, but about half of autistic adults are of like average or above average intelligence. And most autistic adults don't have any savant ability. I know that of course there are some who do, but um, I've never met one. So I don't believe that they're very common, but it's much more common that there are people like me who are pretty smart, mask well enough to get along in most social situations, even if it's not like ideal for our mental well-being. We're verbal or hyperverbal, but we suffer from a lot of executive dysfunction, sensory overwhelm and trouble with social skills. And of course, there are lots of people who are autistic who are not men. There are a lot of not men autistic people in this world. But in the 1990s, I think that like the vast majority of who is being diagnosed autistic were men, boys. So anyway, when I was growing up, yeah, no one was looking for like a relatively intelligent rule following nerdy little white girl when they were looking for autistic traits. They weren't really even looking for basic executive functioning skills in a lot of students. Um, I think students who weren't successful with executive functioning skills like time management or turning work in on time, remembering to being lunch or lunch money, remembering which days were gym and which days were health. I was so bad at that. All of us who are bad at these things were considered either lazy or sort of daydreamy head in the clouds, depending on how generous the teacher in question was. I remember when I was in middle school and high school people kept trying to get me to use day planners and it was like I would immediately lose them or just not bring them with me cuz I didn't like carrying extra stuff or I would just not write in them when I did bring them with me or I would bring them and not have a pen to write with uh and there was no backup to the day planner if you could not remember to do the thing And you couldn't keep a day planner to tell you to do the thing. There was no other intervention to help you with time management. (laughs) So, yeah, there was very little understanding of neurodivergence being like a part of you and how you're built as opposed to something you're doing wrong in opposition to the neurotypical people. Um, And, you know, in the past couple of years, as I've met more and more autistic people in my own community and online, My experience is really not that rare among people my age. Like, there are just so many people in their 30s or 40s or 50s or 60s who are just finding out that they're autistic and just realizing why they felt different for their entire lives. Usually because, like me, the autistic traits that caused them the most trouble in their lives were kind of well-hidden or just not recognized by larger society as being problems or concerns. I'm not sure... But I wouldn't be surprised if there were a ton of ADHD women around my age, too, who have only recently been diagnosed. And of course, there are men who have slipped under the radar, and especially, I think, non-white men. But it's only so recently that the medical communities have accepted that women can be autistic, and that women's autism can look very different from men's autism. Plus, we still know very little comparatively about how autism presents in women and in non-binary people since most of the studies that have been done have included almost completely male participants. So there are personal reasons that my specific case was like overlooked by myself and my teachers and my family, but there's also a lot of structural things going on that kind of caused me to not even be, you know, considered to be autistic when I was a kid. Um, I'm not going to say that nowadays is better for everybody because obviously it's not. There are still tons of autistic kids um, who are not getting the resources and the interventions that they want or need, who are not getting the support, whose families are not getting the support that they want. Um, But I do think that there is generally in America a better understanding among more people of what autism is, at least, and the diversity within autism Um, I think a lot more people are outspoken about their autism we have like more out celebrities with autism Um, I think when I was growing up it was like Temple Grandin and that was it Um, and now I can like think of three or four or five or ten people maybe off the top of my head who are autistic and kind of out about it and that's like huge it's still not enough but it's like a huge difference and some of them are women actually which is great Um, I also think that just teachers are better educated about autism than they were able to be when when I was younger. Um, And teaching is kind of a completely different profession now than it was when I was in high school, in terms of what kind of education you have and what you have to specialize in to teach you know, and that's a whole different conversation. But I do think that there's a better chance that someone like me would be picked up in a school system nowadays if it was like a good school system with special ed teachers and, you know, that kind of thing. But I still don't know, honestly, because it did take me a really long time for me to figure it out. Um, and I, you know, I'm not, what is it, the sharpest tool in the shed? But I'm I'm not incapable either. Um, I think that autism is so diverse. And I also think that the way women are trained um, in a lot of ways prevents us from being noticed when we have issues in school. So like autism, ADHD, executive dysfunction issues, all that. Um, I think that a lot of women, a lot of girls are kind of taught to be quiet, put their heads down, do their work. Um, And that's changing too Um, And I'm certainly, you know, trying to do better with my kids. You know, it's a thing. I think that girls are less likely to be noticed in the classroom um, than boys are when when boys have sort of more traditional autistic traits. Um, And, you know, I hope that's changing. I think that people are more aware of it as a problem than they were when I was a kid anyway so anyway that's today's episode I hope it was helpful for those of you and again I really appreciate all your comments and feedback on that earlier episode and I hope this one helped you kind of think through what it's like to be diagnosed as an adult and and kind of what you can be doing in your community to just kind of support younger children especially you know boys need support too but especially non-boys whose issues might not be as obvious and thank you so much to iAlly for supporting Neurodiverging today. Please do check out their app and website. It's app.i-ally.com. A-P-P ally is spelled A-L-L-Y. Thank you for being here with me today. Please remember, we are all in this together. We all have to do the work to make this world a better place for everybody with a neurodivergence.